The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. It's good to be back. It's been a, it's been a while. Uh, yes, it has. Yes, it has. Thank you to everybody who listened to my uh, reporting from Richmond Raceway this past weekend. I had a lot of fun. The races were pretty exciting. Got a pretty cool one-on-one interview with Ross Chastain, up-and-coming Xfinity driver. So you guys should check that out. Got some really cool post-race comments from Dale Jr. as well. And if you're a NASCAR fan and you are on our Patreon page, be looking out for the videos to correspond with uh, those podcasts as well coming out very, very soon. So thank you for everybody who shows support to the Patreon and know the score. You can find Know the Score on CSPN.us. So, Dwayne, we'll get into it. And our first topic this week is Tiger Tiger Woods, y'all. Tiger Woods, he won the PGA Tour Championship for his first PGA Tournament win in five years. Uh, regardless of what was going on on the NFL Sunday, this was the biggest story in sports on Sunday and possibly this week. Tiger Woods, basically, you know, redemption story all the way back from five years ago, you know, when his wife on Thanksgiving night did whatever she did to him and he ran into a ditch to his back, um, you know, giving out to him having that awful video of him being um, strung, uh, you know, just high on those pain pills and drinking. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on for Tiger in these past five years, but for him to come back. This year, go through the whole tour relatively healthy and culminate with a win in the final tournament of the season. Uh, it's really a feel good story and a redemption story in a way. Right. And, and you know, it's been a good four or five years since uh, we've seen Tiger in the um, winter circle and the crowds that followed. His victory was pretty amazing, especially on a big stage like the Tour Championship. And, you know, just a lot of perseverance, a lot of injuries that he went through, a lot of personal demons that he went through. And it's just good to see that, you know, he got everything together. He he um, paid his he paid his dues, in a sense, and... And stuck to what he he um, believed in, believed in himself, believed in his game, and it finally came to him. Everything came together, and you know, I won't say you know classic Tiger, but you know, I think it's going to be a new Tiger that is ready to take over once again. Yeah, that Saturday, the round he played on Saturday, that was classic Tiger. That looked like the old Tiger we were used to. He was, um, you know, he came out on fire to start out the day. 
And then, you know, he managed himself around a few errant shots and then took the lead into Sunday. And we all know his track record when he has the 54 hole lead. He's pretty much undefeated. I think he's only been caught like one time from behind. So um, just, you know, again, great to see Tiger Woods back in the winner's circle. Um, Great to see the emotion from him. You know, for so long, he's just been so you know, robotic and kind of didn't let anybody in. But to see that emotion and to see, you know, him kind of let us in to, you know, his inner world there for just a a brief second was awesome. And I think that endured a lot of people to him as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll go to one of those because, you know, we've we've just seen Tiger look like a machine over the years. And and, uh, to see the human element of the whole situation and you know me myself i understand a good redemption story i you know i've had you know we've all had some kind of personal redemption so being able to relate to that and seeing that you know athletes like that superstars like that they're at the end of the day they're still human beings and it's okay to show that emotion so i think that was pretty awesome you know especially in the sport that, you know, for me personally, doesn't generate a lot of interest, but, uh, and for some people that, you know, the casual golf fan or a person who's not a fan of golf at all, everybody knows Tiger Woods is one of the biggest stars in the game. And that just really, like you said, on an NFL Sunday, for that to take over is pretty huge. Right, right. So, Tiger ends up uh, finishing second in the FedEx Cup, which is basically like the uh, the PGA kind of playoffs. Uh, he finished second to uh, Justin Rose. So Justin Rose was the PGA, the FedEx uh, champion for this year. But Tiger finished second. And uh, like I said, just a remarkable bounce back from Tiger. And hopefully that springboards him into, you know, 2019. And maybe he can get another major on the mantle uh, next year between, you know, the four um, hopefully he can win the Masters again. That would be that would be awesome to see him uh, conquer the Masters since they've kind of done everything they can to make the course untiger friendly. So for him to get another Masters, I think at this late stage in his career would really be cool. But looking forward to great things from Tiger going forward. He knows that he can win again, so I know the confidence will be at an all time high at the beginning of next season. Hopefully his health holds up and uh, he can get through next season as healthy as he did this year. Absolutely. So we'll shift it over to some NBA talk as we're getting uh, close to training camp starting. We had media days around the league. So, of course, we had a lot of talking points. Um, You know, LeBron faced the media, Rondo, uh, Anthony Davis made some news because he fired his agent. And it looks like he's setting himself up to, you know, make an escape out of New Orleans uh, in his free agency year of 2020. But the biggest news that's been circulating around the NBA for the past week to 10 days is this Jimmy Butler story is starting to pick up steam as it looks like um, the front office uh, at the Timberwolves are kind of at an impasse where the coach is also the president of basketball operations. So he doesn't want to do anything that would jeopardize uh, his team being able to make the playoffs and make a run this year. And he knows that he, Tom Thibodeau, that is, knows that he needs Jimmy Butler on his team. But the GM is understanding that, hey, the mix is not good. The chemistry is not good. We need to try to go ahead and get this disgruntled guy out of here if we can. 
So Jimmy Butler has stated that the Miami Heat is his desired destination to be traded. Do you think that the Heat should give up whatever assets that the Timberwolves desire to get Jimmy Butler? Or do you think that this is a deal where they may want to just kind of stay pat and kind of let it play out a little bit longer and they may not have to give up as much the closer we get to the season? Uh, this is a tough one because Jim Butler even said five years ago he would never play for the Miami Heat. And now all of a sudden he wants to go to Miami. So it's um, – but if anybody uh, knows how to make a deal in the NBA, it's the NBA Mafia leader Pat Riley. I mean, just look at the slick back and everything. It just reminds you of a mob boss. Oh. Um, my whole thing is with this situation, uh, I think that if they give up a lot of assets now, it'll be advantage Minnesota. Um, I think if they gave up, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, putting Hassan Whiteside's name up in the mix, and, you know, Tom Whiteside hasn't really done much in the last couple of years yeah. for the Heat. He got he did the one thing we all fear, is that once he got paid, he would kind of regress. And I uh, call that the Carlos Boozer effect. Yes. <laughs> this is the Carlos Boozer effect. Does not play well until the contract year, then he balls out. Yes. So, um, and so... My whole thing is, I'll if I'm Pat Riley, I would stand pat and wait till we we see how it plays out. Um, if Jimmy Butler doesn't want to report, he doesn't report, and we'll see how it goes from there. Um, I know Tibbs would rather keep Butler there because he knows Jimmy Butler, he knows his game and everything, but. That whole chemistry dynamic with uh, Butler, Towns, Wiggins, it's not. It didn't work, and and um, you know, it ended up with Andrew Wiggins almost getting a face of Stephen Jackson, <laughs> and his brother getting involved, and the uh, the OG Triple OG Jerry Stackhouse had to step in and kind of squash the situation because apparently um, the Wiggins father is from Kinston and he's good friends with Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah. So Jerry Stackhouse got on the phone to Stephen Jackson and basically was like, yo, man, you know, they good peoples, you know, kind of cut him some slack. And so Stephen Jackson respects his elders. And so, uh, you know, he kind of called the dogs off at the behest of uh, Jerry Stackhouse. So glad that situation, you know, kind of calmed itself down. It got kind of ugly there last week on Twitter. Right. Right. And, and you know, um, don't want to ever go it's a guy who has one into the stands and punched the fans. So, yeah. Yeah, we, and, we, we have clear evidence of uh, Stephen Jackson's uh, handiwork. We don't have any evidence of the Wiggins brothers' handiwork at all. Exactly. And Andrew Wiggins, don't, anybody knows who knows that, you know, Andrew Wiggins, KU fan, KU hoops, always going to be a fan of Wiggins, but there's some things you just don't want to do. And that's try Stephen Jackson. <laughs> in a kind of um, sister story to the Jimmy Butler uh, saga, 
Carl Anthony Towns signed his extension with Minnesota. So even more of a slap in the face to Jimmy Butler is that, you know, of course he's going to sign the extension, but, you know, they've basically doubled down on the young guys. And that just, you know, puts Jimmy Butler father at odds because, you know, unfortunately he didn't feel like Wiggins or Anthony Towns were um, taking in his tough love and his leadership as he would have liked. He said that, you know, they just didn't care that they didn't, you know, he's 29 years old now. So he's getting to the point now where championships and playoff runs matter. They're like 22 and 20 respectively. So, you know, they're still out here trying to be famous as basketball players. So, you know, they're kind of on two different pars and uh, Jimmy Butler just couldn't get those guys up to his level. And I, and it just frustrated them. So, um, what do you feel um, this extension will do for Carl Anthony Towns? Will it kind of light him up and, and, and get him into his zone? I mean, he had an excellent rookie year, but the past couple of years, you know, he's kind of slid down. Uh, kind of slid down, but, you know, you got also, man, there's three, three key, it's like three key players there in Minnesota, and there's only one ball, so, um, in those games where it seems like there's regression on both um, Towns and Wiggins' part, it's also you outside know, so the figure you had a you had another superstar there. So my whole thing on you know I think I think Towns is going to grow and mature into a, a uh, bigger leader. Um, he's going to get. I think you get some. You get one more guy to come up there. Like anyway, like I say, he's only twenty years old. I mean, these guys are young and and um, and they, like I said, they're just trying to get famous. And my whole thing with this situation is that you know they're already getting it from Tibbs with tough love because you know Tom Tibbs don't like to run his guys into the ground anyway. Um, you know, and Jimmy Butler probably trying to be an extension of Tibbs, but his presentation probably wasn't the best, I would say. And so if you're, if you're going to get, it's one thing to get it from the coach, but to get it from your teammates, you know, it's kind of easy for somebody that's um, younger than you to tune you out and just trying to do their own thing. I mean, this team, this team did get to the playoffs. They did, they did get to the, they did do their thing in terms of um, hanging with the Rockets. They did, you know, but the Rockets were just a big juggernaut this year, so, or this last year. So, uh, my thing is with the Timber, the Timberwolves, We'll just have to see how it plays out, see if they either can find that maturity level in some areas that Jimmy Butler isn't there and isn't there to provide the leadership. We'll see if it's a if it's a effective or not as effective. All right. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra Icon. 
you can find and know the score on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. So, Dwayne, we'll transition into the week that was in college football. We'll start off with a huge upset as Old Dominion goes into Blacksburg and stuns number 13, Virginia Tech, 49-35. to ODU's backup quarterback comes in and goes crazy on Virginia Tech's defense. Um, yeah, they, they had a young man who got a breakaway on a fourth and one, a third and one rather, and instead of uh, going down at the goal line, he took it to the house, and that's how we got the 14-point spread. But ODU gets all the credit, man, because they went up there oh. and they were oh. going toe-to-toe with Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech did everything they could to stay close to them. Before I respond to that breaking news, the Carolina Panthers signed Eric Reed. Oh, good for Eric Reed. Yes. Free agent safety, formerly of the San Francisco 49ers, um, most notable for uh, kneeling with Colin Kaepernick. Um, I don't know if he was a part of the collusion um, he was. case with Kaepernick, but that's, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, he was part of that collusion case. Um Tory Smith lobbied to the Panthers to sign him because the North Cersei went down with the second concussion. They put him on the IR. They had a three-man rotation for the Cincinnati game, and Tory Smith lobbied the Panthers to sign Eric Reed, and it looks like Robert Bear and Marty Kernifield followed through on it. Well, that's great for him, man. So, um, you know, hopefully he continues to, to do his, uh, you know, kneeling and bringing attention to um, you know, racial and social injustices here for the Carolina Panthers. It's a good, good pickup for him, for them. Um, they get a guy who's fairly fresh. He was basically taking a, you know, a year off from getting hit and getting. So I'm pretty sure his body is is really healed and ready to go. And hopefully he can make a huge contribution, except for when they play the Washington football team. <laughs> well, you know, I feel, I feel the opposite, but that's okay though. Uh, but back to the ODU epic upset. Like this was not something I was anticipating, and I was I was blown away by the fact not only did Virginia Tech thirteenth ranked team in the country, uh, they were looking very very sharp through the first few games of the season and. You would think hitting a brick wall would have been against a tougher opponent like a Duke or Boston College or something of that sort, but I was not expecting ODU. Is. Um, I think was ODU like a twenty-seven and a half point underdog in this game. Yeah, it was huge. And and ODU, I mean, if you ever look at the ESPN bottom ten, ODU is a mainstay there. So. For that to happen was pretty amazing. We always say, well, I would say we, I always have thought there's never as, as many major upsets in college football as there is in like college basketball or something of that sort. And, you know, you get the, you get the one epic, epic one every uh, year or two or so. Uh, the App State game over Michigan at the Big House, Howard beating UNLV, which was pretty, which was a pretty big upset a year ago, um, 
and this one now. So, uh, good, excellent job by Old Dominion, you know, especially for Conference USA, which hasn't had a lot of good success with football. I mean, they've had some pretty bad schools there, Rice, UTEP, Charlotte, um, UTSA. So, uh, good job by the Monarchs in pulling this upset off. And this would be something that could jumpstart their program once again and get them back to where they were when they were in the FCS. Yeah, so definitely congratulations to those kids. At ODU, they definitely earned it. It wasn't a fluke victory. It wasn't, uh, you know, Virginia Tech out here giving them the game. Those kids went out there and they took it. Next up, the Nebraska Cornhuskers fall to 0-3 after losing to Michigan 56-10. to uh, It was like 28 to nothing after the first quarter in this game. Uh, it's real ugly for Nebraska right now. Um, you know, they basically hit rock bottom. Rough start for Scott Frost, uh, former Nebraska quarterback. He's coming back to try to, you know, reclaim the glory of Nebraska football. But so far, off to a very rough start, 0-3. I think it's like the first time since like World War II or something that they've been 0-3 this whole season. So, uh, I know uh, Scott Frost had a tough um, first year at, uh, was it Central Florida he was the coach of? Yeah. And uh, Mm -hmm. then the next year, uh, they went on and lost. I think they lost two games the next year, and then they went undefeated last year. So, do you see a similar turnaround with Nebraska? Is it just you know first year growing pains, or should Nebraska really be worried about you know Scott Frost and their coaching hire? I want to say it's growing pains um, because of the fact that I like uh, UCF. I mean UCF at the time. I think before they joined the American, they were in a pretty bad state when Scott Frost found them. Uh, they went through the growing pains. They took their licks. And I think it's going to be the same with Nebraska. You got to sell yourself to guys that are already there. Remember these, these guys who came, who he inherited aren't his recruits. They aren't his guys. So, um it's going to be, you got to have the team that buys in. I don't think they're really buying in. I mean, look at the fact they lost to Troy. So that's one one kind of sign there. And then getting blasted by Michigan, losing to Colorado in a long time in the meeting between long-time rivals having played since both left the Big 12 10 years ago. And they lost that game as well. So, my thing, my take is on this. We just got to see how it plays out for the rest of the season. If the players start to get fully acclimated, even though they should be already fully acclimated with the system, but it's not looking good right now in Lincoln. And you know, um, with the fact they haven't had an zero and three start to the season, and in uh, 50 plus years is where you do hit the panic button. They probably have hit the panic button to the point it's broken. And because that's what happens when you're spoiled with success. So they may be calling for his head right now, but take the licks right now. It, it may get better. It's going to be a little bit tougher to see if they do get better in a 
more competitive conference and just have to go from there and see what Scott Frost does with guys that he will bring in. A guy who had a first, a tough first week, but they've knocked off two straight ranked opponents, and that's Tom Herman in Texas as they defeated TCU 31-16. The week before, they knocked off um, USC at home, so it looks like Tom Herman has uh, started getting Texas rolling. It looks like they found some consistency on defense the past two weeks as they, um, you know, have limited, uh, I think, uh, USC got 17 points and now TCU got 16. So does it look, do you feel that Tom Herman has finally got this thing on track here at Texas after uh, two straight wins against ranked opponents? Absolutely. I think that with with the whole, I mean, you had the panic button going on in Austin after the, after the Maryland loss. But now, but now this team is going on is going on a nice little run now. So I think that with with all that's going on in the with all that's going on in Austin and you know the defensive adjustments. And that Texas has made in the last couple of weeks, they're making pretty good strides now. So I think the shift is starting to become right. I think the the um, callings for Herman's head is uh, starting to quiet down, as well as the hot seat's getting a little cooler now. So you could, you know, not worry about trying to lose a job and continue to focus on, you know, improving Texas and and getting them back to uh, Big 12 Providence. We're going to stay in the Big 12 as Texas Tech upset number 15, Oklahoma State, 41-17. to So Cliff Kingsbury and his air raid offense does it again against Texas Tech, and uh, that actually got Texas Tech ranked this week as they are number 25. So good job for them. Cliff Kingsbury continues to be a great coach, at least offensively. You know, he had Baker Mayfield, moved on from him, uh, had Mahomes, never missed a beat. He's got a new quarterback this year. They're still putting up crazy numbers. So just talk about uh, Cliff Kingsbury and his wizardry at Texas Tech. I mean, it seems like it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. They can score 40 coming off the bus. Um, so, yeah. This was another coach who had a very hot seat coming in, um, you know, even though that's his alma mater, and and um, this is what he knows is the air raid offense, but I had to go into Stillwater and, you know, take out Oklahoma State the way they did is a very signature win for the uh, Red Raiders. And this is a good win for Cliff. This is a good win for the program. And this is going to, you know, get get Texas Tech in that highly competitive recruiting race down in the in that big state. So um, what they're doing down there is pretty awesome, especially with the fact that major conference haven't been playing all that great. And... And now we got these two teams. We got T. Yeah, think about it. TCU 
uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Um, I'm missing somebody. Did you say Texas? Texas, yes. Thank you. Um, this could be a very interesting Big 12 race. You can't forget about West Virginia out there, too. So, um, And Kansas State, to an extent. So, um, pretty much anybody in the Big 12. I won't even say, you know, even though they're improving right now, but they're nowhere ready to take over the Big 12, Kansas football. But um, a lot of improvement overall in this conference. I mean, even Kansas, they stopped that 46-game road loser streak. Um, and then and they won. They even won two in a row. They're 2-2 two and two right now. When's the last time you heard? Kansas football winning two games and being at 500 and at this point in the season. So, um, overall, the Big 12 is looking very, very good football-wise. I still wish they would have divisions again but um, and 12 teams so they could be the Big 12 again. But that's another story for another day. And our final bit of news around college football coming down the wire yesterday Former Clemson quarterback now, Kelly Bryant, will transfer from Clemson after losing his starting quarterback job to freshman Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Kelly Bryant started 18 games as uh, in his career at uh, Clemson. He was 16-2, and two, but I think a lot of people have been talking for a year, especially over the summer during the training camp, that it was just a matter of time before Trevor Lawrence kind of got this job away from him and that Kelly Bryant would have to really put up some points and the offense would have to just, you know, be ridiculous to kind of keep Trevor Lawrence on the sideline. And, of course, you know, through these games where they get leads and stuff, they were running in both quarterbacks, and just the eye test was the offense looked better with Trevor Lawrence uh, at the quarterback. And so Dabo Sweeney, uh, you know, made the decision for good. Kelly Bryant, of course, was not happy with the decision, and now he's decided to – take his talents elsewhere. So uh, I'm going to ask you two questions. How does this affect Clemson's chances of winning the national championship going forward? They're going to go from a senior quarterback to now a highly talented freshman quarterback. So uh, answer that one first. Well, because Clemson has a stout defense, I think that's going to help Trevor Lawrence. But I think uh, think that he can – get the offense continuing to click and he'll have a lot of time to do it. So uh, moving forward, I don't think this will affect clubs in terms of their perch on the ACC um, as a whole. Um, there's really nobody out there that's going to uh, knock them off in the ACC. Um, as for the national stage, um, I think what Devil was trying to do is uh, he saw what was going on in Tuscaloosa and try to emulate what was going on in Tuscaloosa except for um, the the senior quarterback or the upperclassman quarterback isn't buying in like um, another Al- Alabama quarterback has been. So um, that's going to be where I leave it at that. I think just the whole buy-in and emulating what's going on on the national stage. Because a lot of schools are, are going 
going to the two quarterback thing and and uh, it's working for some. It's you know clearly in this case it did not work. My second question to you is. I know it's a vast, vast landscape out there, but where do you see a guy like Kelly Bryant eventually landing? Do you think it'll be another uh, Division One school, or do you think he'll go down to FBS or or FCS? Excuse me, um, you know, Division One AA, or do you think he'll go to another Power Five school? Well, he he could still redshirt, so if he redshirts now. Uh, thanks to that new NCAA rule, if he goes ahead and redshirts, he can go to an FBS school, um, a power a power school, and and um, sit out a year and then play next year, and you know even get a master's up until. So uh, there's that possibility. There's also um, if he does go down to SCS. Um, Probably one of the power schools in the SCS. Um, probably like a Dave Madison or some something of that sort. Probably somewhere in that in that uh, Carolinas and Virginia region. Um, Furman and Wofford. Wofford would be a good option there. It's not that far from uh, Clemson and Spartanburg. So there's that option there. And... And um, if he goes to like a Power Five school, uh, it's going to be a school that's going to need a quarterback. So, um, and there's plenty in the plenty in the region that could use a quarterback. And just have to see maybe an Auburn or something. I can see, I can see maybe him taking over Auburn for a year. Okay, that would be interesting to put him in the Gus Malzahn offense. Um, cause, you know, he would be the best pure passer Gus Malzahn's had since he's been uh, the coach at um, Auburn. You know, he's had a lot of running quarterbacks, but not really a great passer. So that would kind of add a, a good element to Auburn's offense if that was to happen. But we'll definitely keep an eye on the Kelly Bryant situation going forward. We're going to run through this week's top 25 matchups. Uh, this game should be really fun as we're going to have number 12, West Virginia, face off against number 25, Texas Tech. So basically the air raid versus the air raid. Seven on seven. <laughs> uh, this is going to be Big 12-esque, probably 48-41. Whoever has the ball last has the best chance to win. Yes. Uh, the marquee matchup for this weekend that everybody's going to be talking about, number four, Ohio State, travels up to number nine, Penn State. Um, last year, this was probably the game of the year um, in most people's regard as they played that epic that Ohio State came back to win. Uh, basically knocked Penn State out of the playoffs and kind of derailed their whole season. They never recovered after that game last year. Um, this will be the second game that um, Urban Meyer will be on the sideline for. Uh, this is going to be a difficult one uh, for Ohio State because Penn State's quarterback and receivers are lights out. Um and Whitfield, the quarterback for Ohio State, this will be the toughest defense that he's played against, and it'll be on the road. So he's passed every test so far, so we'll see how he how he does on Saturday. 100,000, 100, and I'm sure it's going to be a whiteout in Happy Valley. Yeah, so that game is going to be definitely the, the game of the day on the national stage. Um, probably the second highest profile game of the weekend is going to be number seven, Stanford. They're traveling up to South Bend to face off with number eight, Notre Dame. Uh, both of these teams are 4-0. Uh, 
Uh, Bryce Love um, is going to be in a showcase against Notre Dame. Notre Dame's defense has actually shown out to be um, really good this year. Brian Kelly is, you know, generating enough points on offense uh, after having to um, go to his backup quarterback after the first game. So we've um, seen Notre Dame have these hot starts before. Is it time to really believe in them, or is this the kind of game where after that Stanford game, it'll be really time to buy in? Oh, boy. That's a good question. Uh, so, Marco, I'll take on that will be that um, people, if anybody truly knows me, they know how I feel about Notre Dame. I'm not the biggest Notre Dame fan, but they are 4 no for a reason. I thought they were going to lose to Vanderbilt, and they almost did. And so... And I watched the Stanford game. I watched the Stanford and Oregon game last weekend. I was I was actually impressed by the fact that Stanford and I think as historically intimidating as Notre Dame Stadium is with the touchdown Jesus and everything. Um the Austin Zoo was pretty crazy. It had a pretty crazy environment, and Stanford survived it. So, I think that Bryce Love and company—they've already, they've already been battle tested, um, and I think they can go to South Bend and pull off the win and uh, derail Notre Dame's college football playoff hopes right there. All right, we've got two more key matchups out west as we have number 20, BYU, traveling up to number 11, Washington. Washington, after a tough loss to Auburn in the uh, you know the kickoff classic, they've uh, rebounded uh, for three wins in a row. They're just outside the top 10, um, and they still got a great shot to represent the Pac-12 in the playoff this year. Um, BYU, you know, scrappy bunch. Um, can put up a lot of points on offense. So it'll be interesting to see if Washington's defense can kind of keep BYU's offense in check. Right. And so um, I'm going to go ahead. You said Washington, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, yeah, I think think Washington wins. uh, One thing that I did like as well from them, was the fact that you know they they allow they bend but they don't break on defense and I think a lot we saw that a lot in the Arizona State game like they let they give up yards but they don't give up points that much so um, I think that they can pull off a, I think BYU as good as they are they did go to Wisconsin. And they did get the upset win. I think they'll be competitive with Washington, but I think Washington escapes. And our final matchup out west between top 25 teams, we have number 19, Oregon, traveling up to number 24, Cal. So it should be another one of these Pac-12 offensive shootout games. Uh, Oregon came real close uh, last week uh, in their game, just came up short, ran out of time there. Um, they kind of blew that game though. Yeah, yeah. They had they had a lot of opportunities to put it away, but they just couldn't for various reasons. I haven't seen Cal play at all this year, so I, I don't really know 
much about them. I'm going to try to watch that game so I can uh, get more information about California. But um, is there anything that you can add about Cal for me? Uh, not really. I think Cal's a mystery to me as well. And so one thing that I I think about, like a team that's a, a mystery, you never know what you're going to get from them. I think the fact that, you know, teams that are sleepers like this, uh, you just don't, you get to kind of see that, um, what they can do. So look at, um, looking at Cal, I mean, they got, they got a quarterback that's, uh, 4,449 yards, six touchdowns, and, uh, two picks. Um, Cal's 3 and 0. I think that I haven't seen them beat anybody, per se, but I mean, 3 and 0, 3 and 0. Oh, here they go. I mean, they beat UNC, they beat BYU, and Idaho State. So, not really a impressive uh, resume. I mean, the BYU win on the road is probably the biggest win, especially since BYU beat Wisconsin. So, it does help them out a lot. Uh, but this is going to be a, the biggest test Cal's had all year, um, especially until they play Washington and the, the rivalry game against Stanford and even Colorado, who's 3-0 right now, too. So, um, we'll just have to see. This is their first conference game of the year, so we'll just have to watch out and see what happens. This episode of Another Score is being brought to you by Amazon.com. Head over to www.cspn.us. Click on the tab that says Keep Our Podcast Free. Once you click on that tab, the very first link will take you to Amazon. Do your shopping like you normally would. It's getting time for cool Halloween uh, costumes, also early Christmas shopping. So help out CSPN and Know the Score by going over to Amazon, making some purchases, and some of your purchase will come back here to the CSPN to keep Know the Score free each and every week. Amazon through CSPN.us. Do it today. Dwayne will get into the National Football League. And on Thursday Night Football, Baker Mayfield comes in off the bench. He erases a 14 to nothing deficit and leads the Browns past the Jets 21-17. And the Cleveland Browns have won their first game in like 630-something days. 635. Dilly-dilly, bud light all around for the whole city of Cleveland. I don't think anybody went to work on Friday because they were all hungover from cases and cases of bud light. The Baker effect. But um, uh, good for Cleveland. Uh, probably the best feel-good story of the NFL uh, You know, early season was watching those fans after being so close for the first two weeks of the season, finally get off the snide, and they got a chance to see their number one pick and hopefully their future Baker Mayfield come in off the bench and rally them uh, from a deficit. The Jets started out that game very well, but like it tends to be most times when you you know prepare for the starter all week, especially a short week like a Thursday game, and then all of a sudden the backup has to be pressed into action, uh, things tend to turn around, and, and that's exactly what happened. So. Um, I thought Baker Mayfield played well. He didn't make any big mistakes. They leaned on the running game when they had to. He made some tight throws when he had to to keep drives alive. 
And, uh, you know, I think the future is very bright for Baker. Um, just your thoughts on, on Baker Mayfield and Cleveland as a whole uh, finally getting their first win in almost two and a half years. The Baker effect. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, look, I, I, at first I was surprised when they picked Baker Mayfield number one, but I knew why because, I mean, Baker is, Baker just has the tools, he has the leadership, he has the confidence, and, you know, you hate you hate for him to come in. Um, he basically came in, I mean, he didn't come in under the circumstances. I mean, Tyrod Taylor was, um... He got a concussion in that game, right? Yeah, he was, yeah, he had a concussion in that game, and... And so, you know, you hate to see that happen to Tyrod Taylor at the same time. Tyrod Taylor was also like 4 14 for like 18 yards. So, uh, uh, so yeah, it was just a bad, bad, bad situation to come into. But he gave the, he gave that team like a newfound shot of energy, like that wasn't, that hasn't been seen in Cleveland from a quarterback in years. I don't, I don't know. Probably um, it's been a while. I'm, I ain't gonna exaggerate say like they're in the Bernie Kosar days or anything, but um, um, it was. Didn't they have that run with Brady Quinn when they went to the playoffs? Or was I think it was Derek, Derek, Derek Anderson. Anderson? Yeah, so probably since Derek Anderson took them yeah. to the playoffs. Yeah. So. I was I was more impressed. I mean, seventeen to twenty three, two hundred one yards, um, and then of course he had the uh, the uh, two point conversion where he caught the pass from Jarvis Landry there as well. Um, and for the city of Cleveland as a whole, I mean, nineteen games, six hundred thirty five days. You literally were. Dale goals and extra points away from literally being three and out. And so it was just one of those things. I mean, kind of, and the defense was just all over the place harassing Sam Darnold and, and, um, you know, they forced him into four picks. Uh, in that game, one of those picks was just horrendous. I mean, the guy he was going down instead of going down, taking the sack, just trying to fling the ball in, and it ended up being an interception. But it really made me look good in fantasy picking the Browns defense. So that's what I call it, Jameis Winston. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it was um, a very good uh, showing for Baker. Very good showing for the Browns. Of course, Hugh Jackson said he would evaluate the situation, but you know you got to start Baker Mayfield this coming week. You can't. I mean, even if Tyrod somehow gets healthy and clears the concussion protocol, uh, you got to get Baker. You got to get Baker to the ball going forward until something happens. Some um, other highlights from Week Four. Or week three, rather, excuse me. We're coming up on week four. The Bills, they went up to Minnesota and destroyed the Vikings, and nobody saw this coming. 
27 to 6. And Josh Allen's second start as a starter. The defense harassed Kirk Cousins. I think he had like three fumbles. Uh, they uh, created some short fields for Buffalo's offense, and Buffalo's offense took advantage of those short fields. Josh Allen didn't throw the ball very far in the air, but he had a lot of completions for a pretty good percentage. And uh, the Bills' defense uh, harassed uh, the Vikings all day and uh, only allowed two field goals. So definitely um, a great showing by Buffalo. Um, nobody saw that coming, so maybe this will be the start of turning their season around. The Lions on Sunday Night Football defeated the Patriots 26-10. to 10. Uh, uh, Matt Patricia beat the teacher and Bill Belichick. Um, the Lions defense played outstanding. Um, it just put another glaring spotlight on the Patriots' lack of outside weapons as far as um, receivers go. Gronk was doing Gronk things, but, I mean, you know, he can only do so much. He was double, triple covered most of the game. I mean, he still got a uh, majority of the catches for most of the yards, but um, definitely the Patriots have been struggling the past two weeks. The offense has not looked good at all. Julian Edelman is scheduled to uh, – it's got one more week to miss. And then, I think, yeah. And then he'll be back from suspension in week five, so – um, Josh Gordon did not play in this game. Um, he's still out with a hamstring injury. So um, the jury's still out on this version of the Patriots. I mean, it seems like the past couple of seasons, you know, they've had these kind of September issues and everybody's like, well, is this the year where they finally fall off the cliff? And then they kind of, you know, uh, get themselves righted and then go on a big run. So uh, just your thoughts on, on the Lions efforts against the Patriots. And uh, are we starting to finally see? The cracks in the armor of the New England Patriots. Uh, boy. So, it's a good question. So, um, I will say this about the Patriots. I got excited. We always get excited when most people always get excited when the Patriots start out slow, and then what happens? They are in a deep postseason run. Um, it could be a little bit different this year in terms of, in terms of, you know, teams recovering. I mean, the only team right now that's ahead of them is the Miami Dolphins, who are 3-0 right now, and they play the Dolphins this weekend in Foxborough. Um, when you get home, maybe what? this team needs, but I don't, if this, if we have this conversation in, say, October or something, then we could probably say there's some cracks in the armor, but it's always in the first quarter of the season. Uh, we see the Patriots start off slow, and then they go on a 12, uh, 10 and 12 game run, so um, I'm just going to sit up here and just say that, you know, let's see what happens when Josh Gordon comes on the field, um, gets the hamstring fixed, because um, you have a really, really crazy time, second day of crazy time, covering both Gronkowski and Gordon, and then you 
set up the speedsters and Philip Dorsett and then the possession guy and Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman. So some of these pieces are coming back for New England. And I think Julian Edelman has one more game. Uh, one more game out. And then and then uh, just go from there. Some other headlines. Jimmy Garoppolo tears his ACL in the 49ers <laughs> loss versus the Chiefs. Um, so big loss for the 49ers. They were, you know, he was off to a kind of slow start. Uh, the Chiefs jumped out on San Francisco uh, really fast in this game and took Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit to kind of get himself going. But he started getting himself going and um, unfortunately was on the sideline and kind of made a decision to stay in bounds. And then when he did that, he kind of went to cut and then he just went down on the sideline and uh, their worst fears confirmed the ACL. So C.J. Beathard, who got um, some good playing time last year, uh, actually played really well against the Washington football team, almost led them to a victory against Washington last year. He will be taking over the duties full-time uh, going forward. So just unfortunately for Jimmy Garoppolo, hopefully he can come back next year, be 100%, and, uh, you know, just continue his ascent towards being, you know, finding himself as, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Uh, we'll talk about a couple more quarterbacks. We'll talk about Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes threw another three touchdowns last week to set the mark for most TD passes in the first three weeks to start a career with 13. Um, the Chiefs are just, you know, video game, Big 12, whatever you want to call it. It's just so fun and so exciting to watch this offense. Um, they're just jumping on top of people. Uh, Patrick Mahomes with uh, one of the signature plays of his young career, scrambling out, almost falls down, puts his hands down, gathers himself. He's running uh, to the right, and then all of a sudden, like a shortstop, just kind of throws a dart into the end zone for a touchdown. Um, this kid is just amazing. He he doesn't have uh, – I think he's got like one interception um, I think so. so far. So, I mean, he, he's just, um, you know, definitely – been worth the uh, you know moving on from Alex Smith he's basically made Andy Reid look you know like a genius and um, so we will continue to see great things from him and uh, wonder if he can do it again this week and the last quarterback we'll talk about is Carson Wentz he returned as a starter for the Eagles and he led the Eagles to a 2016 win over uh, his former offensive coordinator uh, Frank Wright and the Indianapolis Colts um, the Colts may be a little bit better than uh, people were giving them credit for to start the season. Uh, they were right here uh, with the chance to actually win this game late. Uh, the Eagles defense uh, stepped up there uh, at the end of the game to, to snuff out uh, the Colts' chance. But Carson Wentz back on the field for the Eagles. Uh, yeah. Drove him right down to the field, um, you know, hit the tight end, opening touchdown, uh, pulled a, another one of those Carson Wentz, thinks he's going to get sacked, and somehow he comes out on the other side, tight plays. So um, just kind of through highlights, I don't know if you got a chance to see the whole game, but uh, just kind of what was your assessment of Carson Wentz and his first action since uh, December last year? I thought he looked uh, pretty decent. Uh, he had some rust at first, like uh, we – anticipated, but it was a pretty good matchup between uh, Wentz and Luck. Um, and I like the fact that I like the fact that uh, you know, he got the ball down the field 
and and got the W and in turn the Eagles defense kicked through and Andy Luck got the Colts down the field and the Eagles defense kicked through once again. Uh much like they did in the Super Bowl. So uh good job by Carson Wentz. Welcome back. Glad to see him back. Um Zach Ertz's production's about to go up exponentially. And then even even better for the Eagles as they get healthier, Alshon Jeffries will be uh, ready to go this weekend, and and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how things go moving forward with uh, Wentz and company. The marquee matchups for Week Four, um, as of course this is Week Four, so buys are starting to uh, come into play. So. Um, a lot of teams are getting this early bye week. But we start off with the Thursday night matchup between the Vikings and the Rams. Uh, this could maybe be an NFC Championship game preview, as a lot of people are very high on the Vikings and their defense. And then, you know, the Rams have a chance to be like the 1991 Washington football team to be the number one offense and number one defense in the same season. Um this is going to be definitely a good test for the offense of the Rams. This will be the toughest defensive test that they've went up against. And this will also be a great test for Kirk Cousins against um, the Rams defense. Um, Marcus Peters is not going to play in this game. They've uh, put a keep to leave on the um, IR slated to return because of his ankle. So this may be a game where Diggs and Thielen actually get some room to operate and it, it may be a good night passing the ball for Kirk Cousins if the offensive line can keep those big boys, Donald and Sue, up off of them. But uh, your thoughts on this matchup, uh, one of the uh, you know higher-profile matchups that we'll get in uh, this early part of the season? Um, yeah, so after that debacle in Minnesota against the Bills, I don't know. I got. I mean, this is a chance for Minnesota's receivers to flourish here, but can we trust Kirk Cousins, the god here? Um, you know, I don't know if we can trust Kirk Cousins here. I mean, I don't know what happened in. I don't know what happened in that game against the Bills. Um, it was just, maybe it was just a bad game all around. Uh, but even though the Rams defense is missing some pieces in the secondary, they still got Aaron Donald and the, and the Goblins and Dom Kinsu as well. I almost butchered his name, but, um, and we still got that front seven, so. I can tell you exactly what happened to Kirk Cousins in that game. Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback against the blitz. If you blitz him, he's really good at seeing it coming and going to the right place. What really gives Kirk Cousins a hard time is pressure from your front four or your down linemen. And that's what the Bills were doing. Their linemen were just manhandling the interior of the Vikings defense. And that quick pressure – um, definitely uh, rattles Kirk Cousins, and he has a chance. He also is very prone to fumbling uh, when he gets sacked in the pocket. So 
that'll be, I would say, a key to kind of watch out for to see how much uh, pass rush just the front three of the Rams can get. If they can harass them with just their down linemen, uh, it would be definitely a repeat of the game against Buffalo for the Vikings. But if they start to have to send people from the secondary or linebackers to try to get more pressure on Kirk Cousins, uh, Kirk Cousins could have a very good game because, like I said, he's one of the better quarterbacks against the Blitz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You almost have a better chance against him to just kind of sit back in a zone defense, hope that your defensive line can put pressure on him and just he just, you know, not be able to go 75, 80 yards per drive and, you know, overthrow, make a bad throw, something like that, other than just trying to pressure him with your blitz packages. Right, right. Um, you alluded to this matchup earlier as the three and and0 Miami Dolphins travel up to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. If they can get this game over the Patriots, that means that they would have a three-game lead in the loss column over the Patriots, and that basically would put a stranglehold uh, on the division for the Dolphins. This is definitely one of those show-me games for uh, Tannehill and Gase as you know quarterback-coach combination. Uh, do you think that the Dolphins will be up to the task on the road in Foxborough? I think they will be. I think that I means the division, the division game. So you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, anything happens in a rivalry game like this, and and I think that neither team. I think the Patriots are. Really take the Dolphins as a serious threat. I think the Dolphins are always looking at the Patriots as, hey, this is a team that we have to knock off the perch. And and so what will happen, I think, if Brian Tannehill continues to launch the ball down the field uh, to different receivers, he's got two speedsters in, uh, actually, he's got a lot of speed. Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant. Uh, you got King and Drake in the backfield, Frank Gore in the backfield as well. Um, it's really in the in the defense led by Cameron Wake, Xavier Howard, uh, Kiko Alonso as well. I mean, this Dolphins defense can do some damage. And if they can make sure that Gronk is neutralized and pretty much do like the Lions did, you know, for the most part of the game, just for the, you know, because we don't know if Josh Gordon's going to be available. Probably not. We don't. Adam is still suspended, so you still have to rely on Dorsett and Hogan, which isn't really all that reliable. Maybe James White, too. Out the backfield. Uh, Rex Burkhead's on the IR now, so he's out. Um, so the thing is with this one, I would say that if Miami can find, if they've emulated what Matt Patricia did in neutralizing Gronk and taking away Tom Brady's prime target, Tom Brady will get rattled and this will help the Dolphins win. Sony Michelle got to see his first action of the season in last week's game. And uh, showed some flashes actually running the ball more than receiving. So that'll be interesting to me to see if maybe he gets more involved in the passing game this week to kind of add another dimension to that Patriots passing game. 
one more capable person who can, you know, catch the ball and, and do something with it after the catch. So that'll be a matchup that I'm looking into. It's just kind of um, if Shoney Michelle has a good day receiving the ball, that could maybe help um, jumpstart this Patriots offense and get it into gear that we're accustomed to. And the final marquee matchup of week four will take place out in the AFC West as the Chiefs at 3-0 will take on the Broncos, who are 2-1. Um, again, uh, Pat Mahomes, um, you know, he's basically made every defense so far he's gone up against look like uh, a Big 12 defense, but this will definitely be the most ferocious pass rush he's faced in uh, his short NFL career. Uh, Von Miller and, and those guys, Derek Wolf will be definitely trying to um, harass him and, and force him into some mistakes just by being around him and, and, and hitting him a lot. So how do you think this game is going to play out? Do you think the Chiefs are going to do what they've done to everybody else, kind of get them down by two touchdowns and then make them abandon their, their running game? And then, you know, their defense isn't that good, but when you're playing from two and three touchdowns ahead, you know, you can make up for a lot of uh, deficiencies. Yeah, so I really want to see how Pat Mahomes is going to do with Vaughn Miller on one side, Shane Ray on the other side, um, and a front seven that's a lot better than what he's already faced. Um, we'll see if he's got that quick release. Uh, we'll see if they – and this game's in Denver, so is it Denver? Is it in Denver or Kansas City? It's in Denver. Okay, so yeah, we'll see how he also does with the thin air there as well. I mean, we know ain't no air up in Denver, so um, we'll see how they do with um, with that factor too. If he'll be sucking on oxygen quite a bit, so um, I think this is gonna be a close game uh, because it is a rivalry game. I think. As great as Mahomes has been, I don't think this is going to be his game. I may be wrong. Um, he's done everything right so far, and we kind of and people kind of it's kind of been cautious optimism because it's great to see it's a good story to see him flourishing like this. But everybody's also starting to ask, well, is he going to hit this wall? Is he going to? Is he going to? do this or that, so man, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out Monday night. I'm going to be looking for um, seeing who's going to see if Kansas City's defense can handle um, you know, the young running back duo in Denver of Freeman and Lindsey. If they can get that inside and outside game going on the ground, and if Philip Lindsey doesn't punch anybody, we should be and for a good treat on offense, and that'll also help out uh, Case Keenum and uh, getting the ball to his wide receivers and tight ends as well. Yeah, I'm going to just give a, a big shout-out to Case Keenum. I mean, he's actually played a lot better for Denver than I was anticipating uh, he would going into the season. He's really uh, – you know, rejuvenated Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, they look like two new players uh, with him as a quarterback this year compared to, you know, Brock Osweiler, uh, Paxton Lynch, and Trevor Simeon, you know, that they've been kind of trotting out there the past couple of years. 
and their production had gone down. But uh, Case Keenum has definitely added uh, the deep ball back into uh, Denver's passing game, and uh, they've looked very impressive on offense here the, uh, the first three weeks of the season. So um, I expect this to be a, a shootout. Um, and this may be one of those like college big 12 type games where, you know, last team with the ball, uh, will win. So, um, I'm very, I'm looking forward to this. Hopefully, um, this will be the AFC, you know, game of the week and it'll be, you know, the big CBS game with, uh, Tony Romo and everybody can, can get a, can get a chance to see Mahomes. This is the Monday night game. Oh, this is Monday night. So even better. So even better. So Patrick Mahomes will definitely get a chance to showcase his, his talent so the country can see it. Um, so yeah, that should be, uh, that should produce pretty nice ratings and, uh, should get a pretty good, uh, viewership. So absolutely. Well, Dwayne, at this point, man, I'll open it up to you so you can give your thank yous and shout outs for this week. Oh man, it's good to be back, uh, on here. Got a great job doing the Richmond podcast. Uh, um, shout out to Jesse and the five. All of our listeners, um, mom and dad, my final thought really has to be with the uh, with the team that I hold dear, the Panthers. Uh, first off, signing Eric Reed uh, to help out in the secondary. Uh, the collusion case is still going to go on uh, with, even though he signed with the Panthers, that collusion case is still going to continue uh, on his end. And so that was a big signing um, for Carolina. Also, shout out to uh, Cam Newton as well. He matched Julius Peppers' $500,000 donation for Hurricane Florence Relief Fund in Eastern North Carolina. So that's a really big, really big deal um, as well. Um, I also got to say in the NBA Media Day, shout out to Kemba Walker, he also has uh, reiterated his desire to stay in Charlotte. Uh, Michael Jordan making that $2 million donation to um, Hurricane Florence, our relief fund as well. So, uh, keep fighting in eastern, north and south Carolina. I'm glad that, you know, the people that I hold near and dear are safe. And everybody's all right. And those that those that are, you know, in despair, I definitely hope to help out in the next coming days and and uh, stay strong, Carolina strong. All right. I'd like to give a shout out to Nabias and Jesse as well. Give a shout out to everybody here involved with the CSPN uh, that makes the network so great. Thank you for your time and your efforts. I'd like to thank everybody who I came in contact with in Richmond this past weekend, Ross, Whitney, Matt Humphrey, um, everybody in the NASCAR media center there who were so helpful with everything last week. Um, it's just a great experience. I couldn't thank them enough. Um, my final thought will be about the Washington football team. The Jekyll and Hyde nature of the team continues to prevail under uh, Jay Gruden. Looked great against the Cardinals, looked awful against the uh, Colts, and then had a great first half against the Packers this past weekend. Had a little help from uh, the Green Bay receivers, uh, mainly Randall Cobb, not being able to hold on to the ball. 
But uh, the very impressive first half by the Washington football team. Uh, they're headed towards the bye week, and then they get to face New Orleans uh, coming off the bye. So hopefully, uh, you know, the momentum of the win at home against Green Bay will continue. And, uh, you know, they won't revert back to the team that kind of showed up against the Colts. They can continue to build forward on a win. Uh, the biggest thing in the Jay Gruden tenure is they can't handle success very well. So, you know, when they're down, tried and lost a couple of games and have their back against the wall, they play very good. But once they, you know, play well, they have a really hard time following it up with two and three and four performances back to back to back. So that's the next step for this football team under Jay Gruden. And uh, in two weeks, we'll get a chance to see if they can, um, you know, solidify themselves as one of the better teams in the NFL by going down to face Drew Brees in New Orleans. So on that note, for my co-host, the Libra icon, I'm Don DeLorente. And now, you know the score.